Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Our normal host, Tully, is in France somewhere drinking wine at a boulangerie tweeting about Clemson. So, Ben and Cody here with you today to recap Clemson's 59 to nothing win over the South Carolina State Bulldogs. Cody, before we get started here today, let's really jump to a subject that is really more than football and kind of the most important things on everybody's minds right now. That's Dabo's speech about Colin Kaepernick. You want to talk about that a little bit? Not at all, Ben. Not at all. That's a great opinion there. Because why would we ever want to waste time talking about Blaine Gabbert's backup? So speaking about the TMZ week that it was um, at Clemson, there was a lot of great coverage on TigerNet. I want to point out a feature to all you non-millennial folks, um, a feature on TigerNet that a lot of you may not know about. Unlike Cody and Tully, if you're like me and actually have to get work done during the day and can't be constantly checking TigerNet for news updates, you can sign up for email alerts and or daily digests either through their your account settings page if you're logged in or if you don't have or want an account, you just put your email in the little box in the upper right hand corner of any news story or update and you can select what you want to be updated on via email. Great feature. You may not be aware of it. Be on the lookout for that. Or follow TigerNet at Clemson TigerNet on Twitter. You can there- also follow Clemson Podcasts on Twitter and... We've been soliciting now for a while some mailbag questions, so feel free to, to tweet them to us. You can leave a comment on TigerNet. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page. You can email us, clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. Looking forward to receiving those. So, Cody, let's jump back to the game. As I mentioned, a big 59 nothing win over SC State for Clemson. You know, we said going into this game that this was not one that we really stood to learn a lot about unless Clemson did not perform well. At the end of the day, they did, uh, but really it doesn't matter who the opponent was. It felt really good to get back out there, march up and down the field, and really dominate an opponent. Yeah, I think we needed this. I think Deshaun Watson needed it. I think the offense altogether needed it. Uh, obviously, the second-string guys who are the, and some third-string guys, too, they, they needed those reps. They've been trying to get them in for three games now. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a little prematurely, but now was the time. I mean, you get you saw you know freshmen, true freshmen, getting to play. But more than anything, just getting see what it was like to win, have that good feeling of of winning. Uh, Deshaun Watson, it could it could have been a seven on seven matchup. It didn't matter. It just him getting that flow and that rhythm. And you could tell that when the first uh, right on the first drive where he came out there, he was kind of dancing. You know he's jumping up and down. I think it was it was clear that he's gonna have fun. Like he came out to have fun today, and that's what he needs to get back to. So it was all all good to see, and then a lot of great things on the field as well. And again, as I mentioned, you can kind of take it with a grain of salt because it was SC State, but there is something to be said about a team that goes out and dominates a team that they should, the way Clemson did. It was about forty-five nothing. I think three minutes into the second half, by that point, your your head was spinning crazy with all the guys that Clemson was running in and out of there. I think we're on to third string guys at some point there in the second quarter, and numbers that I didn't recognize yet. So really trying to follow everybody that was in the game, it was a little tough to do. But you were able to zero in on a few guys. Tavion Feaster got in there and had a big day. Uh, some other guys on defense, Trayvon Mullen, you saw him in there more. So just really a great day. I mean, it was the annual clear the bench day and get everybody on the field. I think Clemson played like, was it like 90-something guys? 
I think so. I think, yeah, everyone and then some. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, don't know if we're going to go right into players yet, but uh, you mentioned Tavian Feaster. And you're like, you, you couldn't tell which number he was, but it didn't matter because we haven't seen speed like that from a running back since probably like Andre Ellington. I'm like, when I first saw that, I looked at you, I'm like, Tyshawn Dye, really? Uh, he picked up a step, but, but that you, wasn't Tyshawn Dye. Well, no, you picked up that number 28 on the jersey, and that gave you even fonder memories of uh, one C.J. Spiller. So great to see Feaster out there get his legs under him and, and, and get going because honestly, you know, what we kind of saw out of the rest of the backup running backs, there's a, not a lot of depth as we would hope there would have been coming into the season with all the hype around Adam Choice and Tyshawn Dye and even C.J. Fuller. Haven't seen a lot out of them this year. If, if Tavian Feast can really step up, I think it's wide open for him to assume that backup role to Wayne Gallman. Yeah, I mean, I think we worry about him a little bit in pass protection. It's very important to protect Deshaun Watson. But, yeah, Choice and uh, and Die, and granted, they've had limited snaps. I think there's something to be said for getting into a rhythm. But uh, they really haven't showed us, you know, there's a clear drop-off after Gallman. So if, if Feaster is the next best thing, and maybe in some cases, maybe the best thing just because of his speed, then, yeah, you got to look at, if it makes our team better, you got to look at getting him some more meaningful reps. Well, and that's what these games are for. You know, you hoped you would have got him in. I mean, the game plan was to get him more against Auburn. That didn't work out. And then you really would have hoped that the Troy game, he would have gotten some more action. That didn't work out as that was close most of the way, if not all the way. Uh, but going into SC State, you knew that there was going to be the opportunity for this. There was no reason why Clemson shouldn't manhandle this team as they did. Um, they shortened the the quarters in the second half down to 12-minute quarters, which, I don't know, part of me, Cody, should... <laughs> When you're an elite team like Clemson, should you be playing down to that that level of talent? Should you be playing teams that are so bad that you have to go in there and shorten the quarters? Well, I mean, I, I think they do it because it's an in-state. You're promoting the in-state thing. Uh, I think their marching band's really good, so maybe that's part of it. Now, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's what it is, but I, I mean, you know, you support the local teams, and you can't. I mean, they've always been bad, South Carolina State. But, but what else can you do, really? Well, and I get that. Uh, there's just got to be a different way than, you know, the school making $400,000 or whatever Clemson gave to South Carolina State for playing this game. Um, is that really worth these guys getting humiliated the way they did? I mean, it's good for a few of their players um, who maybe didn't qualify academically uh, at some other bigger schools, and they get out there in front of some NFL scouts. But with with the lack of talent around them on their team and just the massive uh, uh, overwhelming talent on the Clemson team, it seems like they can get overshadowed and lost in the shuffle a little bit. So I don't know how beneficial that is. Yeah, I mean, there is something to be said. You know, a lot of these guys are South Carolina guys, the players for South Carolina State. So, you know, they probably always grew up dreaming of playing for Clemson, and they get to play probably in front of some of their their hometown, uh, you know, family and, and, and fans. So, I mean, I mean, I don't think the score is that big of a difference. I actually knew a guy I went to high school with, who uh, played for South Carolina State? I, I mean, we blew them out. So I don't. I don't know. I think there's there's some good and bad. Uh, for us, obviously, Troy wasn't enough of a of a of a drop off in terms of an opponent. We needed to. We needed a cupcake. We needed someone we could rake over the coals. And I, I think, I think yeah. that they served that purpose. And I guess at the end of the day, you could end up every once in a while pulling one out of your hat and upsetting South Carolina like the Citadel did last year. So maybe it's worth it for those uh, once in a lifetime opportunities. So getting back to the game and getting back to what we saw out of the Clemson Tigers, again, we mentioned not a whole lot we were going to be able to learn if the guys just came out and did what they were supposed to do. 
What we didn't see was an offense that sputtered. They came out of the gates right away, took the first drive down the field and scored, and they just kept piling it on after that. 555 yards of total offense. Deshaun Watson was 12 of 15 for 152 yards and three TDs. He didn't play a lot um, you know, after we got that big lead early on, but good to see him come out after the, the first couple games and the week he had and really look poised and command this team and, and dominate the, the, the opposing defense. Yeah, he looked he looked great. I think that rollout to his left, um, again, I, he he wasn't using his legs. It's it's pretty clear the coaches are they're satisfied with not or they're content with him not using his well, legs. Well, especially off. in a game like this, you know you're going to win this game. So there's no there's no it's not worth risking injury to him. Agreed against South Carolina State, and that's and that's fine. And, but he did one time just roll out, just rolled out to his left. He could have he could have went for a run, but he made that. I think it was the pass, the touchdown catch to. Um, maybe it was Deion Kane, or maybe it was the drop to Powell. I can't remember, but it was similar to the game before the Hunter Renfro, you know, roll to your left. It's just, it's a part of his, his, his game. He saw it against Alabama. It's really, really hard to defend. And I want to see more of that going forward. Well, and I think going forward into the season, you may start to see some more of that as we get into some more of these crucial games, including the short turnaround we have against Georgia Tech to be followed up by a Louisville team that's absolutely on fire. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but, Cody, it wasn't just Deshaun Watson, you know, out there. Clemson got five quarterbacks into the game. I didn't even the, – the, the fifth guy, what was his name? James Barnes, he got out there. I, I didn't even know who he was uh, coming into this game. But Nick Schusler, let's talk about him. He looked poised out there, 7-11 passing, 118 yards and a TD. Yeah, and his, his stat line aside, because you can only take so much, as we said, in games like this. But there was something to be said for, I think, his poise and his confidence from the moment he got in. There was no hesitancy. Uh, he just went for accurate passes. Um, and contrasting that a little bit to Kelly Bryant, who wasn't bad himself, but I think it's pretty clear. I mean, would you say at this point our number two quarterback, I feel like, has to be Nick Schusler? Yeah, I think just the confidence that the coach is showing him and letting him pass the ball. You know, this happened in a scrimmage that Clemson had in fall camp, and I'll bring it up again here. If, if the biggest thing that Kelly Bryant needs to work on is his passing game, why is he only throwing five passes in a game like this? I mean, he's not going to have a lot of other opportunities to get out there and get some work this year unless we blow out some other teams. Um, and as we saw last year, you know, even a national championship contending team, we didn't blow out a lot of people. There were a lot of close games late. So it's just curious to me why he's not getting more opportunities to throw the ball. And it, if, if you watch him, it's it's almost painful because he goes in, from the shotgun, he goes into like a you know, three, five-step drop, whatever it is, and he, like he's going to pass. And no one, even in, even South Carolina State, they're not buying it. They quickly collapse the pocket and you know they they can you know sniff out the run and they're before you know it they're in the backfield. Now if, if, if South Carolina State can look like that, just imagine what L or FSU and Louisville is going to look. Now, like. Now, as part of that, maybe due to the fact that we may have third team guys in there playing with Brian at that point, offensive linemen. Now our receivers, granted, are pretty deep and there's still good guys out there at this point. But you're talking Trevion Thompson, uh, DeAndre Overton. Cornell Powell, no, so young guys. Yeah, no, I think the offensive line, second string, who we were, I think we both said earlier, we were impressed seeing some of those freshmen, just their bodies. But if you watch them as a unit, it wasn't good. I mean, granted, you don't, you'll plug one in here and there with the starters. You won't throw them all out there in, in a big game. But they, no, they were very, uh, what's the word, uh, easy to get through. There were some holes there. So yeah, that, that's a little bit on them. Uh, but but still, I'm telling you, any any team that can. That when you become that predictable, like Kelly Bryant's been, you gotta show the pass. Even if you're not good at it, you gotta find a way for him to find like someone on a screen pass just to keep the defense honest. 
Well, and even in a game like this where you are up so big, what does it hurt in having him throw the ball? I mean, South Carolina State's not going to come from behind and beat you, so a turnover is not going to be the end of the world. It just seems like you have to get the guy some reps if he's going in some real game situations if he's ever going to improve. Right. That would this would have been the time. And again, going back to Schusler, that pass to Overton, where you know you say what you want about the you know the opponent, but the the pocket was collapsing. They were getting pressure on him, so that was real real live pressure. Hard to simulate that in practice. And he made a just a beautiful pass to Overton. Well, Another guy talking about DeAndre Overton. Wow, he he's got potential. I don't think this year he needs to add about. 15 pounds, but he looks good. And again, let's not fail to recognize what Schusler did. It's not about, you know, Bryant maybe not living up to what we thought he would be. Schusler has this number two job because he's earned it. And I don't, the coaches haven't gone so far as to come out and say that he's the number two quarterback, but I think it's clear to you and me that he is. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, nowhere near Deshaun Watson and, you know, no, no well, surprise to anyone. Yeah. yeah but, but I, I think a, a viable option to get us through some ACC games not named FSU or. Louisville. And one other bit on him, he's not a dual threat quarterback, but did you see him escape the pocket just maneuvering around? Uh, he does have wheels. I think you even said it. I, I, I was kind of dismissive, but he, he is fast. I don't think he'll use him in like run options or design runs or anything like that. But He's he, no paid manning. He can move. Yeah, he can move. You might, I mean, you might do it a little bit to keep a defense honest if you got to roll with him in the case of injury. So, Cody, let's let's talk about some other guys here. Let's talk about some starters where there maybe is a little bit of concern that came out of this game. Jordan Leggett has still been invisible in this offense so far and just has not been productive. We see him dropping balls and just not being a factor in the, in the offensive game this year. It's I I wouldn't ta- I would take it with a grain of salt at this point. Let's see how he does against in the bigger games, bigger competition. That's when a tight end could potentially emerge, whereas a you know safety valve. Uh, we'll see, but I, but yeah, it, it's very disappointing, especially considering he didn't. Ha- he could have probably gotten into uh, the draft. I don't know what round, but it's looking like his stock has definitely gone down since coming back. And you would think, with him coming back to improve his draft stock, number one, that's a seems like a wise choice, right? Seems like a kid that has a uh, level head on his shoulders. So to see him come back and not perform well so far, his blocking has still been suspect. Again, we talked about the drops. What else, what else has to happen with this kid for him to really get it that he needs to step up? Because if he's clicking on all cylinders is playing and playing up to the best of his ability, he's a huge matchup problem out there. Absolutely. And you, we're going to need him. We're going to need him against Louisville. I mean, we'll definitely need any of these higher-level teams that we play, and we feel like we've got a few elite, guys, elite teams on the schedule. I, I, I think the answer would have been trying to utilize him in a game like South Carolina State, just to get the confidence, like see him catch a few balls and it didn't come to fruition. So it, it is disappointing. But, it means look, three games in, things could change. So another guy who's been a bit inconsistent, Deion Kane. you know, he only had two catches uh, on the day yesterday with a couple drops. What's the deal with that? I mean, this guy, all the potential and all the talent in the world, we heard he did all the right things in the offseason after being disciplined at the end of last year. It's not really coming together for him yet, is it? To me, he looks like an athlete, uh, and he was. He was a quarterback in high school. You know, he learned to play the receiver position in seven-on-seven camps. His freshman year, I thought he started to make really, really big strides in terms of being, looking like a receiver, route running, uh, just ball skills. I don't, it almost seems like maybe he's timid. I don't know, but he doesn't. He looks more like an athlete trying to play the receiver position. He does a few things that are just freakish when he like high points the ball, but he also can't catch some very simple balls too. So, well, and I don't see him 
challenging for balls a lot. He, uh, let's put it this way. He gets challenged, and there's a defender on him, and the guy just knocks out of his hand. He has, gotta, he has to go out there, overpower guys, and go get the ball. That's what DeAndre Hopkins did so well, better than any other receiver I've seen in the Clemson uniforms, is he squared his body up to the ball, uh, boxed out, shielded the receiver, and went up and just caught it. Yeah, it's just an awareness you have with your body. I think you get from so many reps and getting and getting the confidence. DeAndre Hopkins played a lot of basketball. I think that helps with that sort of thing. Lucky DeAndre Overton was a converted basketball player. I think he'll right. pick up on those nuances. So was uh, Mike Williams. Uh, Powell just looks like, yeah, like you said, just boxing out his body, using your body on every step of the way to gain an advantage. And, and, and uh, sorry, Kane. Kane hasn't been able to do that. So Mike Williams did look really good, speaking of him. Uh, he only had four catches on the day, but, you know, shaking off a little bit of some of the drops he had in the Troy game. Ray-Ray McLeod, he looked fantastic again. It really looks like the Clemson coaches are figuring out how to use him in the right way in this offense. He's really come back from that uh, punt return that he dropped before making it into the end zone in the Troy game, and he's flourished ever since then. He provides a, a punch to our offense that we wouldn't otherwise have because – he is a running back. He's a fast running back on the outside. He start. I think he he looked good last year. I think he just got injured. Uh, he, always, he he seemed to really you know just catch on to things really quickly and just understand football. Uh, he's a guy. He's going to get you like you know he'll he'll take that that screen pass and he's going to get you nine or ten yards and hopefully we'll see a few big plays. Quick side note: when he makes his cuts, do you not see like a Heisman pose? It's it's the prettiest thing when he's like on a punt return. Are you calling? Are you calling an L Heisman for Ray Ray McLeod? He just pulls his whole body over like he's like he's doing a dab or something. It's it's beautiful to see though the the lateral quickness. Well, I'm going to say not surprising to me to for it to take a little while for him to come on because I think the position or role he fills in this offense is a little more complicated than let's say a Mike Williams or somebody like that that can go down the field and uh, dominate in the vertical passing game. Uh, there are more nuances to the uh, to the receiving position that Ray Ray is going to have to pick up, and he's starting to do that. Um, and he's going to step in really nicely for uh, Artavis Scott next year when he's gone. Yeah, and yeah, we have some answers there. I just I really like what he gives us from an all 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 purpose yards type standpoint. So I, I think a real perfect example of why it would have been a knee jerk reaction to remove him and bench him from the game after that punt return because he's done nothing, again, as I said. He's done nothing but flourish and played great since then. He was our best wide receiver in the Troy game, and he played really well uh, on Saturday. Yeah, really coming along. Um, we got to see Cornell Powell, who, you know, still got a ways to go, but you see what the, the, the reports on him about just having a, the, a, a, bo- a college body right away. Um, he, he, a lot of potential. We could also play the two or the five in our offense, so I, I really like him in, in time. Um, we talked a little bit about Overton. I think he, I, I see. I was kind of one. I was kind of questioning why they redshirted him or why they didn't redshirt him, and I can see why now. You get, you put 15 pounds on that guy by next year, and I think they will through an offseason strength and conditioning program. Uh, he's going to be a player for us next year, and you see how how valuable those big bodies are, big body receivers in our in our offense because we didn't we didn't have one really all of last year. Well, there's so much talent coming through the pipeline into Clemson at the wide receiver position. There's no use in stockpiling these guys. As good as that's going to help recruiting by saying that, you know, as a freshman, we're going to put you on the field early, um, you know, that goes a long way to helping you get these these high-caliber blue-chip athletes. So if he's ready to go, there's a spot for him in this office to get on the field because we cycle in wide receivers like not a lot of other teams do just because of the depth. Right. And, I mean, and talent. 
him and T. Higgins will form a nice combination of really just large receivers for us next year with, with good ball skills. All, again, all basketball players. So pivoting here, let's talk about the running backs for a little bit. You know, Cody, it's it's been difficult to gauge so far this season. Uh, Gallman, obviously, uh, he had a good game uh, against Auburn, but the offense didn't get going. The Troy game was in and out, switching out a bunch of new guy, uh, different guys. And the same thing yesterday against South Carolina State. He did average 5.7 yards a carry, but there's you can't really tell anything from that. So I think we're going to start to get into a stretch of our schedule where we're going to need to see the guys in the trenches start to dominate, namely a Louisville team, because we saw them dominate uh, Florida State. We're going to need to be able to run against them. We need to be a balanced offense. Are we feeling as good about our running game at this point as we did last year? No. And, you know, I've talked ad nauseum about getting Deshaun Watson involved with his legs so we can open up Wayne Gallman. Still hasn't happened. Granted, it didn't need to happen against South Carolina State, but – it's, it is odd because we were one-dimensional at the beginning of last year. We still developed that run game. Uh, the interior of the line was good, and you're not seeing it. Maybe it's just the, the book is out on us. We know, teams know Deshaun Watson's not running. I mean, he might very well run against Georgia Tech on Thursday, and again, he'll definitely run against Louisville the, the following week. But it's pretty it's, – it's, it's bad when – granted, we played South Carolina State. We did get some run plays, but the first drive – stalled out because Gallman couldn't get a few yards up the, you know, run up the A-gap. Well, I mean, what is it? It's, it's because we're really, really predictable at this point. So is it more so concerning uh, because of the running backs or the predictability of this offense? Or is it the fact that the offensive line just maybe hasn't gelled yet? You know, we saw them run a lot of guys in and out in the Troy game, and, you know, they didn't hold up very well in the Auburn game. And then yesterday, once those second and third uh, teamers got in, you know, they didn't look fantastic by any stretch of the imagination. John Simpson looked really good, but still some question marks on that offensive line, which we thought coming into this year we had a lot of depth. There was an interesting take from an NFL-level uh, scout who, who kind of diagnosed some of Clemson's early you know, struggles, particularly on offense, because that's where the problems lie. And he said pretty much the same thing. We, we become one-dimensional. We go from having an advantage with Deshaun Watson as a playmaker to removing him and being pretty much at a disadvantage and being predictable. But it also, it's not just the, the run game with, with Watson Gallman. It's, it's the offensive line. They feel a lot more comfortable when, when one, they can play with a little bit more pace. But also, uh, when, when we are moving the pocket on some rollouts, on some design runs for Deshaun Watson, I, I don't know, you know, the offensive line, it's really hard for an amateur, you know, film buff like me to review, but there's something to it. And it, it basically said, the, the scouts said that last year, it looked like we were maybe an above average offensive line, but because of our scheme, we were propelled into a top five, maybe even the best offensive line in the, in the country conversation, which that makes a little bit more sense now coming full circle. So maybe there was a little fool's gold last year. It right. was the scheme more so uh, dictating uh, the perception of how good that offensive line was because, again, you come back looking into this year, uh, heading into the season, there was that anom- anonymous ACC coach in the Sports Illustrated article that mentioned, hey, Clemson's not going to drive you off the ball. Right. I mean, and that's exactly what you've seen. If you can't drive Troy and, you know, Auburn, a little bit of a different story, but you can't drive Troy off the ball. You have a little bit of trouble with the South Carolina State. And this is this is the most concerning thing about this offense. Listen, Deshaun Watson is going to play great. He's going to get his head right. He's way too talented. Uh, Wayne Gallman is still a heck of a running back. Our wide receivers are still probably the best wide receiving core in the country. But if this offensive line can't get clicking as we get into these tougher games, uh, your Louisville's, your Florida States, you, 
you know, if, if they're not there protecting Watson, creating holes in the running game and giving him time in the pocket, it can really stymie this offense. Absolutely. I mean, I think we'll be okay. I think you got to show a little bit of Deshaun in the, in the running game against Georgia Tech to see what they got. Let them, let them get used to a little bit of pace. I don't know how possible that's going to be in, in Atlanta, but I think you got to look more like the offense you intend to look like when you play Louisville because, again, you, you can't just turn on this off-on switch. Uh, Louisville is not really you know, holding anything back up to this point. And, and the thing that kind of just, I don't know, it, I, I'm perplexed or I, I, I can't quite understand is that if you're a good pitcher and you have three-pitch arsenal, it doesn't matter how many people can watch you on film or what kind of scouting reports are out on you. If you're Clayton Kershaw, no one's going to hit you. And I think we can be predictably unpredictable. And you know, you know we're going to come with that zone read. We're going to come with Deshaun Watson. We're going to come with some stuff on the outside. And you can't stop it. It's that difficult. Why, don't, why not just show our hand and get these guys comfortable? And I hope we do that against Georgia Tech. Well, we, we hope it's – let's hope it's been the case so far that we have been holding – a little something back you know it's not unlike Clemson to do that in their offense but again you know not to speak negatively about this because we just put up 59 points uh, albeit SC State but we'll see we're going to start to get into the meat of the schedule and it's really going to be revealing um, let's pivot over now to the defense I don't know how much we can talk about this they put up a goose egg um, you know kind of what we were looking for in this game one of the things is not give up big plays uh I think the coverage issues were good. I mean, coverage was good. Uh, there was only, I think, one, two plays over 10 yards, one in the passing game, one in the running game. Otherwise, only gave up 102 yards all day to the Bulldogs. Yeah, it was, it's really hard to take a lot from, from this game or from on the defensive side other than our defensive line. We, could, we were rushing four, getting pressure. I just watched Big Dex the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Every, anytime he was in there. Just, I mean, just suffocating the, their quarterback, and they couldn't do anything. And, I mean, and you know, that's just part of how it goes. But I guess if you want to take a positive, uh, Cleveland Farrell, he got the taste of blood. I mean, he, he finally got to hit a guy. He got that feeling of a sack. I think Richard Yergin is a player. I mean, both of those guys look really good physically. Just they, they look the part. They move well. They're, they're big enough to set the edge at, at weak side. Uh, it's just a matter of maybe of getting, getting that first feeling, of getting that sack for, for Farrell will, will help him build some momentum and confidence. Yeah, and it's just like on the offense. Uh, it, it doesn't matter who you're playing. When you're on the defense and you put up a goose egg and you have as many second, third, hell, four stringers in the game, essentially you're missing your leader out there and Ben Bulware at the linebacker position. So to put up that goose egg, I mean, that's a huge shot in the arm. And listen, you know, this defense hasn't been tested yet by a high-powered offense. We, we know now Auburn has nothing going in that department. Troy, I think, is going to actually be a pretty decent team for who they are this year. And South Carolina State was never going to be a test by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but still, you know, to go out there and post a zero, that's got to feel real good if you're, if, if you're the defense. And it gives us a lot of confidence as we go game by game. We'll see what happens in Georgia Tech. But as we move on... It's looking like this defense is rounding into something that's going to be pretty formidable. I, I think so, and I, there is a positive we take from this, and some just an observation of mine is when we did have our second team guys in there, uh, guys like Richard Yergin, Trayvon Mullen, uh, I don't know if Mark Fields, technically second string, but just some athletes. I think back to like when I was in college, I graduated in 2010, and even, even after that when Dabo was, was coaching in the earlier years, when we put in our second and third string guys, a lot of those guys were two, you know, two star, three star players. Well, 
you know, Mullen was a high four star. Same, same for Fields. I mean, these are some just physically imposing athletes out there. And, and granted, they, they, they're not able to play together and the product is not good if they ever had to play together. But, you know, if, if Mullen has to go in and, and spell, a, I don't know, a Fields or whoever, or take over as a starter, I, I, don't, feel, I don't feel too bad about that. I, I really like, for one, he's, he's got Florida speed. He's really stinking quick. But also, really look really physical. For a guy that's not huge, I'm really impressed with how quick he plays. He's got that link that Brent Venables likes. So that's a guy with a really, really bright future. If you had to guess now who the starting cornerback was going to be opposite Tank uh, going into Georgia Tech, who would you say? I think it's got to be Fields. They still got Marcus Edmond listed, so we'll we'll see with Ryan Carter backing him. Ryan Carter's looked pretty good too. He might Ryan Carter could be a potential option because because of the option. <laughs> I mean, they're running game. You need a guy that's going to get off blocks and make tackles, and that guy's not Ed, Marcus Edmond. Even Fields, I'm impressed with him when he comes up and his, his willingness to really lay the lay the wood on guys. So I think you got some options there. Uh, coverage ability is not going to matter too much in this game, which is Marcus Edmond's strong suit. So there may be a little bit of concern because one guy hasn't really stepped up and taken over the job, but I think the positive spin we can put on it is we got several guys competing who are worthy of, of being able to start, whether it be Marcus Edmond, Fields, uh, Mullen, Right, I, I think in in spring in the spring they really put a spotlight on that position more so they they did that like they've never done before and that I can remember not not in Sweeney's era or uh, in his tenure, just putting a, a really large spotlight on a position that could potentially be a weakness to try to get the best out of guys. Uh, maybe they kind of overdid it a little bit, so I, I don't think it's quite the nine one one situation. We will see though. We'll we'll see when we play that greater competition. Yeah, we'll we'll see in two weeks. We're gonna learn a lot then. Um, anything else to wrap up the defense? You know, like we said, not a lot of t- not a lot of talked about here. A lot of guys running in and out. Good to see a lot of the young guys get on the field that we haven't seen play a lot before. Um, but other than that, great day all around. Put up a zero. Yeah, we look like we should look when we play SC State. So now, now is the moment we give special teams a round of applause. Denzel Johnson recovering a kickoff for a TD. Have you ever seen anything like that? I felt bad for the kid for SC State. I mean, well, and then we had to kick off to him right, right <laughs> again after that. We were all we we're kind of rude for him to run one back. Not really, but that was a well. The whole bar we broke into a cheer when he kneeled the second time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, felt bad for that kid. But Denzel Johnson, what a heads up play! I mean, the bright spot in all of this is Hugel is really, really booting the ball in, into the end zone. Sometimes out of the end zone, so. That is a huge improvement. That is something we can definitively say on special teams is a huge improvement over last year. Other areas, still not so much. Uh, Punting, I think we only got one punt off, and it was the backup that I've never heard of before either. Carson King, um, not sure if he's a walk-on. Hugel did have a field goal blocked. That continues to be an issue. So that can come back to, to bite you late in games or in tight games. So we still need to see improvement there across the board. But otherwise, I think we got things figured out. A punt return, Ray Ray McLeod looking really good. And again, kickoffs seem to be solved as long as Hugel's leg holds up throughout the year. Speed don't lie and kickoff distance don't lie either. That'll, it'll translate. So that was the game. Again, a big 59-0 win for the number five Clemson Tigers uh, for our podcast prediction challenge. I took it this week. My prediction of 55-7 to 7 is, I think, our first uh, respectable uh, uh, prediction this, uh, this year, getting actually close to the score. Um, so totaling up the year so far, 
Uh, that one pushed me into the lead, 42 points. Tully's right behind with 36. The podcast 18, and Cody, you're dragging butt back there with 16. You gonna yeah. you gonna pick it up next uh, this week? I'm I'm the corso of the podcast, clearly. <laughs> okay, let's flip it over and look ahead real quick to Georgia Tech. Uh, Georgia Tech is off to a three and zero start this year. They're one and zero in the ACC after an opening weekend win against Boston College, a real barn burner out there in uh, Ireland. Um, they're coming off a thirty eight to seven win over Vanderbilt. Um, for Clemson fans going into this game and coming out of this game, it's going to go a long way to determining how confident we feel going into Louisville. Listen, if we, I know Atlanta's a tough place to play. We haven't won there since 2003, so part of you is going to say, we'll just take a win any way we can get it. If we barely get by Georgia Tech, a team that we should soundly beat, we're going to feel concerned going into the Louisville game. Well, I could go kind of the other way on that and just thinking – because the opponent's so much different, this, the, the environments will be different Thursday night on the road in a, in a weird place, Atlanta, that we don't seem to ever do well in. And then Louisville at home. I think we could, I think we could actually go into Louisville, be a tight game, and then turn around and, and not necessarily beat, you know, blow out Louisville, but I think we could still beat them. Uh, and then the, the reverse could also be true. We could blow out Georgia Tech and then Louisville come in and, and you know, beat our socks off. So. I do you know you're but you're right about one thing. I think there's a lot we can we can draw from this game is the offense have they you know found any type of continuity, any type of rhythm from uh, yeah, because I don't care what Georgia Tech's uh, defense did against Vandy, only letting up seven to Vandy. Our offense is much better than that, and I and I, I, I kind of don't care anymore about the whole can't win in Atlanta thing. To me, that's like the Clemsoning thing. Let's get over that. Let's turn the culture over the program into something that we don't talk about not being able to go into Atlanta and winning anymore against, especially now, inferior Georgia Tech teams. Okay, several years ago when Georgia Tech was playing really well and that triple option was just clicking on all cylinders and it was tough to stop, okay. But now that we have supreme talent on both sides of the ball, we should just go in there and punch them in the teeth, punch them in the mouth, and, and play like a team that is vastly superior. Well, I think the, the biggest thing, the resounding reason why this isn't Clemson of old or the Clemson-Georgia Tech matches of old is because of Brent Venables, the kind of guys he's recruited, not just in talent, but just big guys on the on the defensive line, the scheme, the, the sound gap assignment football that we play. I mean, that's the kind of thing. That's how – that's the, the potion for uh, – or whatever you call it for the kryptonite of a triple option offense. It's what Vin- Brent Venables does. Well, and it's the annual Dorian O'Daniel game. Right. To see what he can do. <laughs> that's, the, that's the secret <laughs> weapon right there. But yeah, no, you're right. D- different talent level, too, on both ends. Theirs has gone down, ours has gotten better. No, this is not, yeah, it, it would be all in between the years or some fluky thing, I think, if they can pull this out. So Georgia Tech does have quarterback Justin Thomas uh, returning this year. He didn't live up to all the hype. Uh, that was coming out about him last year. He is their leading rusher this year it's with six yards of carry. He's only completing 50% of his passes. Um, haven't w- watched a lot of Georgia Tech, but I'm assuming those are probably big plays that surprise you like they normally are. So the 50% completion percentage doesn't really surprise me. It's just not part of their offense. Um, Diedrich Mills, another guy to look at. He's their second leading rusher. So again, you're going to see a lot of guys in there, the A-back, the B-back, and it's going to be the same old tri- triple option and, and cut blocks that you've seen. From Georgia Tech. Uh, one weak spot for them uh, coming out of last year that they needed to focus on was really fixing the O-line issues because that's really the key to getting that Paul Johnson offense back on track. If they go as their offensive line goes. If there's nobody there to block, if they have an in- inability to win the line of scrimmage, 
It's going to be a major reason why they can't get it going. So that bodes well, really, for this Clemson defense with this stellar defensive front that we have. Austin Bryant still not going to be back for this game, um, but you're going to see Christian Wilkins and Watkins Pagano starting, and then uh, Cleveland Farrell on the other side. You're, of course, you're going to see Dexter Lawrence get in there a good bit. Um, so I think it really does start up front with that defensive line. And like you mentioned, maybe Ryan Carter on the outside to bring that physicality that Marcus Edmond doesn't have. Yeah, I mean, he's not your your best option as a corner, as a true cornerback, but against this triple option, he could potentially be a, a good candidate. Uh, he, he will hit you at 5'8", you know, 100, I don't know, 30 pounds. I don't know, he's probably more than that. He's he'll, definitely over 130 pounds. He'll lay the wood. He'll lay the wood. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It starts with that defensive front, getting penetration. That's why we've led the you know nation or been top five in tackles for loss. It's the perfect... Is it antidote? Yes, antidote to Paul Johnson's triple uh, option offense. And Ben Boulware, he has a, he has a, had a week to recharge. He's just just he's chomping at the bit to get out. Chomping there. at the bit, yeah. He's going to hit somebody. He doesn't care who. No, he's going to unleash a whole game's worth of anger in that first hit that he that he has tackling Justin Thomas. Uh, <laughs> and the big thing too that we had we had trouble with uh, in terms of linebacker play back in like the Kevin Steele days was not just finding the guy with the ball, but taking out who you're supposed to take out, maybe that's the lead blocker. Ben Boulware on every play will take out someone. And, you know, that's just a different... Dexter Lawrence could take out three. <laughs> yeah, he will. But, I mean, you're talking about guys like like Boulware and, and that, like, hard-nosed linebacker, that culture Venables has brought. It's just, it's a different type of matchup. And Venables has shown a great ability uh, to defend this type of offense. Like you said, it did not work out so well in the Kevin Steele era. Venables has really turned that around. One uh, potential weakness that we do need to focus on, again, it wasn't a factor, obviously, in the SC State game, but giving up those big plays, like that big fourth and one that we gave up to Troy where they ran it in for a touchdown, that's something that this Georgia Tech offense can spring on you, is that big play capability. You know, your secondary has to stay very disciplined to defend against that rare pass that could sneak up on you. And then, then again, letting, you know, any, any one of these running backs or Justin Thomas break a big play. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's something they'll be looking to key in on, whoever that cornerback is opposite to to Cordero Tinkersley, um, maybe like a play action or something. They'll be looking to get their shots in. Same for Vance Smith. We were a little bit concerned with maybe his coverage ability his his speed in my opinion uh, he just he didn't look like he was quite as quick as he should be against some of those Troy receivers and in coverage uh, they might look to pick on these guys we'll see what they have it'll be a little bit greater of a test than I don't know like a South Carolina State so one thing you really need to focus on and, and it, it really sets you up for success if you're able to do this uh, against this Georgia Tech team you get them into third and long situations they're just not equipped for that they're not equipped for two things third and longs, and to come back quickly when they're down by a couple scores because they just don't pass the ball. You get them into third and long situations. That prevents them, uh, you know, if you hold them there, from going for it on fourth down, which we know Paul Johnson loves to do if they're fourth and two anywhere on the field pretty much. Uh, so key in on that. If we can keep them at third and longs, it's going to be a great night for this defense. A great point. Yeah, for them, it's all about time of possession, winning that battle, clock management. Yeah, like you said, getting those third and shorts and then turn it into a fourth and short. And that, that's it's all in the trenches, and that's I, I have a little bit of confidence there. So on the offensive side of the ball, we talked about this a little bit for Clemson. Deshaun Watson just needs to keep it up with his poise uh, and taking the confidence that he and the receivers got out of the South Carolina State game. 
We really want to see the offensive line dominate this game, open up some holes, control this on the ball, uh, this game on the ground with Wayne Gallman, and really setting the tone and the pace of this game. That's another thing you need to do against Georgia Tech. Set the tone and the pace of the game. Control that. Agree on all fronts, and this is probably the most overused narrative early in this Clemson season, but I want to see receivers catch the damn ball. I mean, I don't think that's too much to ask. I know it's becoming tired. But you know how sticky those gloves are? I mean, you just have to <laughs> hit them in amazing, the hand, amazing, right? like $50 gloves. They should be able to catch the ball. But seriously, I want to see, not, and not just catching the ball, obviously catching the routine passes, which we haven't been able to do, uh, but also making a few plays, seeing Deion Kane look like a five-star receiver that he was once. And, and get his confidence up. We talk about building these guys' confidence. Listen, he's, he's just a true sophomore. We saw the same thing happening with Ray Ray McLeod. Build his confidence, give him some easy balls, and then start going downfield to him. Um, but yeah, other than that, we want to see this offense build on uh, the success they had against South Carolina State and really use this as another tune-up for that Louisville game where they're really going to have to score a lot of points probably. Right, and I'll beat a dead horse with this. I want to see. I don't have to see Deshaun Watson used every play, but let's fill it out. If we're going into the third quarter and it's tight, you know, darn it, let's let's use his legs. Let's win the game. Let's don't let's don't mess around and get in a late game situation. And you know, it's it's a one possession game, and they have the ball on a, on a drive. It's probably going to eat up nine minutes on the clock. Yeah, exactly. Right. Keep the ball in your best player's hands, and that's what Deshaun Watson is for this Clemson Tiger team. Okay, so it wasn't just Clemson uh, this week. There was a lot of good action around college football. Namely, the one that everybody, all the Clemson fans are talking about because this affects us so much, and really all of the college football world was shocked by. Number 10, Louisville, goes out and absolutely dominates Florida State 63-20. to Are you a Lamar Jackson believer now? Can I'm you a, finally get on board on the... You know, he didn't actually pass the ball a ton in that game, but he had like 160 or 70 rushing yards, so that's absolutely amazing. They had no way to contain him. If there is one positive out of this is that Clemson got some really valuable game tape out of it. Absolutely. Um, but you also learned that he wasn't phased by much. Demarcus Walker, a defensive end for Florida State, is just he's looked like an All-American and couldn't do much in this game, and that doesn't bode well for us because I don't think we have a defensive end quite that good. Uh, granted, on the other side was uh, Josh Sweat, who was you know, a, another highly regarded defensive end. He was hurt, so maybe there's something for that. Um, granted, we don't, we don't know that we'll have Austin Bryant back. Their interior defensive line for Florida State couldn't do much. All of a sudden, Louisville, who their biggest weakness was their offensive line, looks like a very solid offensive line. And I think that goes back to the, the dual threat, I think, the pace-type situation, having that quarterback. You can make an offensive line better, and I think that's what you're seeing with, with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, listen, I mean, as, as good as we thought the Florida State defensive line was going to be this year, this Louisville team just racked up 314 rushing yards against them. Lamar Jackson, let's see, had 146. Brandon Radcliffe, 118. I mean, between two guys, you know, over 250 yards rushing. Is, is it fair to say I don't think Louisville's quite, you know, a Florida State? Remember that the 2013 you know, Death Valley matchup with Florida State where they proved to the world they are really, really good? Well, Florida State went on the road in that game. Right. Uh, it's a little different. Lu- whereas right. Louisville was at home. We get them at home, so that's going to be an advantage for us. But Louisville, I don't think it's quite as good as they may have looked that day. I don't think Florida State's as bad as they looked. No, absolutely not. Listen, uh, DeAndre Francois, you know, still a redshirt freshman quarterback. He didn't have a great day. He was only 7 of 18 passing for 101 yards. They couldn't get anything going in the running game. Dalvin Cook 
only 54 yards on the day on 16 carries. That's a 3.4 average. He's looked a step slow this year, and that's got to be concerning for Florida State. That that's been the that's been the word out in Tallahassee. He's not the same guy, and I don't know if that's he was hurt all last year, but not the same speed. Um, it's kind of I don't know. It's interesting. It's it bodes well for us. Um, and you go back to Francois. I think in Tallahassee they thought he was a second coming, and he can be really good. And granted, just a redshirt soft redshirt freshman. But I, I don't think he's quite there. He's not. He's got a few things to work out. Well, it'll be interesting to see as this season continues to go on for Florida State and Sean McGuire gets back into the mix. Depending on how Francois is playing, do you bring McGuire back? I don't think so. I, you don't, he's still good. You saw what he did in the second half against Ole Miss. You don't want to stunt his development or his growth. And, you know, pretty much a lost cause at this point. I think senior Sean McGuire. Well, at the cost of losing games, I don't know, because Florida State, they do have a loss now, and that puts them in a really bad position uh, as far as the standings are concerned in the Atlantic with Louisville and Clemson. Uh, But listen, a lot of things can still happen. This Louisville team is obviously going to need to lose twice, and Florida State keep that one loss uh, for them to jump them. One of those could come against Clemson. You'll have to find another one of those on the schedule somewhere. I think Louisville plays North Carolina uh, at some point this year. I know Florida State does. They also play Miami, so um, it, it's likely. I mean, you're talking about a Florida State team. You know, we I raved about them a little bit. I thought they were on paper as good as anyone, um, but they they look like they could be a two or three loss team. Uh, maybe it's not quite that alarming yet, but I think we learned more about Louisville than maybe we learned about Florida State. I think they're a team that when they're back when they when their back was against the wall, they folded. Yeah, and you're right about that with Florida State that's playing North Carolina. Looking at Louisville's schedule, I don't see another loss. But uh, Houston. Uh, well, another ACC loss got, as far as that's you. concerned, yeah. other than potentially Clemson. After Clemson, they've got home against Duke, home against NC State, at Virginia, at Boston College, uh, home against Wake. It's like the, the pansies, the powder puffs of the ACC. So, Listen, they're sitting pretty in the driver's seat of the Atlantic Division right now. I know Clemson doesn't have a loss yet, but they've got one big win under their belt. Louisville does. Clemson doesn't have that yet. So, very interesting game this weekend. Nobody, you know, everybody, everybody thought that Louisville could win that game. Nobody thought they would annihilate them by 43 points. No, and I think Lamar Jackson proved he's really, really good. Um, the best player in the country, I think. I, I think he has to be the frontrunner for Heisman. Well, a lot of people have him there right now, and I honestly can't argue that. Yeah, I mean, I, I know McCaffrey. People really want him to win. He's the he's the favorite by, you know, I guess, the fan interest. But it, it, the best player in the country right now is Lamar Jackson. And and I guess maybe one thing, I know that's going to be in the back of Deshaun Watson's mind. We'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. But I hope he doesn't press uh, trying to prove more than he needs to. Um, because I mean, that, that's we've seen him do that a little bit this year, and it hasn't worked out so well. Well, all you need to do is win the game. That proves everything. Uh, Very interesting. All narratives have been shaken up at this point, like in terms of what we thought coming in, though. I have no idea how the rest of this ACC schedule is going to pan out, but I, I think I, I kind of take it as a negative where I think Florida State game is going to be just as hard as we originally thought it was. They're really going to want to win that game, especially if they come in with that just one loss. And I think we know that we have a very, very formidable and elite top five legit team in Louisville at home. Yeah, we're, let's not sleep on Florida State. This was an anomaly. They're only going to get better from here. Right. Um, another dominating team, Alabama, comes back. From, I think they were down 24-3 to against Ole Miss and ended up beating them 48-43. to You know, always good to see Chad Kelly lose. But what does this tell us about Alabama? I mean, they're, they're still clicking. 
They're still legitimately the number one team in the nation. You know, Ole Miss has played two tough games this this year against Florida State and Alabama so far. So kind of unfortunate for them to be sitting at one and two. But man, Alabama's looking good again. They're the I, I watched that game. They're the best team in the country. I think still. I think they don't have the overwhelming talent to beat anyone in short samples. An old Miss can beat them, and they proved it. They outplayed them for a quarter and a half. I'm so amazed. When you look at compare this game to the Florida State-Louisville game, when Florida State got punched in the mouth, they folded really quickly. Alabama just kept being Alabama, and I think that's a credit to, the, obviously, their coaching. And I hate, you know, Obviously, Nick Saban, I hate to talk about Lane Kiffin, but they just stuck to their game plan, and ultimately, the larger sample, the better team won out. And it's just amazing how everything they do, they put their players in a position to be successful, they have short fields. They do great on special teams. Their defense is, is always great, if not otherworldly. They're always at least great. Um, just a really good team. But I do take away that when you just watch them in short spans, like against Ole Miss, they're, they're totally beatable. Well, that's where – and we saw the same thing in the national championship game. A lot of teams you can get by just on talent by not dra- uh, driving the dagger in. Alabama is not a team. If you get up on them like that 24-3 or have a couple score lead like we did in the national championship game, you've got to end it then. You've got to drive that dagger and you have to have the killer instinct because otherwise that Nick Saban team is going to come back on you and make you pay for it. Yeah, when it becomes a game of attention to detail, uh, it's not good. You're probably not going to win that one. Uh, so another coach who is just as equally um, able to do that to you, Ohio State, uh, 45 Oklahoma 24. Oklahoma got blown out in this game at home. You know, at this point, it would not surprise me to see Bob Stoops looking for a job at the end of this year. I can honestly see him going down to uh, LSU after Les Miles gets fired. <laughs> They're going to switch <laughs> positions, apparently. That's two two perfect examples of a, of a hot seat and throwing Gus Malzahn to that. Uh, I think... This is not all that surprising for, for Oklahoma. I think we talked about them. We didn't think they were real. They were kind of a poser. I think everyone in the Big 12 is a poser. It's looking pretty clear. You know, they spent, God, was it, I don't want to throw out the wrong number here, but I think it was 80 grand um, on a analytics firm in the offseason that could tell them whether or not the eight or ninth, nine-game schedule would allow them to, in a 20-year sample to have more playoff appearances. And, like, I, I could have told you for just, you know, $1,000 that, yes, um, I think it was a, a nine con- – or no, I'm sorry, it wasn't a, a, the, the actual number of games. It was the playoff game or the – I'm sorry, the conference championship. But, uh, but anyway, they decided, yeah, they would do that, and I don't think it's going to help them in year one. I, I, I can't see anyone emerging. Yeah, the, the Big 12 is not looking great right now. Oklahoma uh, with two losses. Texas loses to Cal 50-43, to so – I think their highest-ranked team at this point might be Baylor, and that's uh, scary given everything that, uh, that's gone on with them in the offseason. And, wow, what has Jim Grobe walked into? But Ohio State, though, I mean, uh, that's, that's a team. you got to keep them on your radar more than ever. Very young team, but, again, Urban Meyer's bringing in talent, and he's a fantastic coach. It looks just like our defensive side of the ball where it's like, hey, yeah, we also had three returning starters. But everyone we we're bringing along right now is four and five star guys. So wow, it looks like an elite team really quickly, and that's what Meyer does. And he's the best in the business at, at recruiting and player development. So no big surprise. So one of Urban Meyer's proteges, Tom Herman, has a really good thing going on at Houston right now. Cody, I know you watched this too, but that game that they had against uh, at Cincinnati, 
uh, on Thursday night of last week. I think they were down like 16-13 to 13 heading into the fourth quarter. They ended up coming back and winning that game 40-16. to 16. They're looking like the real deal, and they could honestly be, if they can get by Louisville and don't have any slip-ups, the first uh, non-Power 5 team to make it to the college football playoff. They're legitimate. They, no, they are, and they look good in the trenches. Uh, they, I think the thing with Cincinnati was another case of the Thursday night road game. And they almost Cincinnati almost pulled that out. They were you could you could tell they were outmatched, but uh, and the score was not indicative of, of the actual game. I think there were like two pick sixes in within the last like three minutes or five minutes of the game. Yeah, in 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 defense of Houston and maybe their slow start, Greg Ward coming off an injury, he missed their last game against Lamar. So you know, shaking off a bit of the rust. But at the end of the day, they handled their business. Big win, forty to sixteen. Um, interesting to see what uh, the, the rest of the season has in store for them. Uh, wrapping up here around the country, South Carolina 20, Eastern Carolina 15. Really exciting stuff down there in the, the state's capital there, huh? No comment. <laughs> All right, so wrapping up today, we wanted to take a little look of, uh, at where we are three games into this season. I think for me, Cody, a few things have emerged, and this has been talked about a little bit. A lack of leadership on that team. You know, we lost some guys like Eric McLean on the offensive line and then Shaq Lawson on the defensive side of the ball. And I think you can start to look at a few of those areas and say maybe that's the reason why, hey, especially on the offensive line, we have all these talented guys. We're considering an upgrade in talent this year. Why aren't they playing as well? And I think you can look to leadership. I mean, by all accounts, Eric McLean was that guy. He was a huge leader on that line. And, and that's something that is that offensive lines really need. It's very important. You can have a lot of talent, but if those guys haven't really gelled together and have this bond, um, that can really they can really suffer. I think I put that more on uh, cohesion and, like you said, gelling over leadership. I see those as you know, kind of different, but also kind of the same. In the case of McLean, uh, you know, him moving away, I think you do have that talent upgrade, maybe even slightly with Taylor Hearn. Same for Fru Morgan. But I think you have leadership with guys like Hyatt. Of course, Jay Guillermo, he is the, you know, the leader of the offensive line. Apparently, they're very close. I think it's just a matter of seeing new defensive lines and seeing different blitzes and different stunts and, uh, and having to work together as a unit to pick those up. And also, not having your quarterback running the ball, uh, you know, and, and not really utilizing pace. So I, I think you will see improvement. Well, and maybe not having your quarterback enjoy playing the game. So, you know, as you all know, Deshaun Watson comes out this week. You know, the, the coaches finally admitted that Deshaun Watson was off, and then Deshaun comes out with his apology. And, you know, a lot of people didn't think that was necessary, but he really came out and kind of owned up to a lot of the, uh, the issues that the offense was having. A lot of that was undeserving because, you know, he's not out there dropping passes. But there were things in his game that he could stand to correct, and his body language and his attitude maybe was one of those things. So I, I, I love that. I, I think it was a huge leadership move, talking about leadership, for him right. to come out and do this. Um, and, and really take control of this team. You saw the guys played with, with energy uh, this past weekend against SC State. So hopefully they've put that behind them. But very interesting to see that from Deshaun Watson, a guy who's, who's always been even keeled. He's always had his head in the game. You know, we've had so much expectations on him, and he's lived up to every single one of them. It's got to be tough on a kid. Right. And it, I think it shows a lot. He did not have to do that press conference. Uh, but it shows a lot about him that he was probably watching that film. He, he he did see the drops, and it probably irked him a little bit. But he also saw his body language, and that's probably what bothered him the most. And that's that says a lot. You know, 
quick Duke basketball story. Coach K used to take his players that had body bad body language. He would sit down with them, show them film. Like they would, he would get like a you know film guy to do like a you know a, just a highlight film of bad body language that they show and just say that what do you think that does for your team? So anyway, just a little little nugget there. But we can't ever escape an episode without a Duke basketball reference from Cody. But no, no, I mean, that's a good point. So, I mean, again, we're all wondering what's wrong, and now we finally figure out what was wrong with Deshaun Watson. Um, so hopefully, you know, he does get that turned around. And he gets back to having fun with the game. You know, and as a Clemson fan base, we need to do everything to support him. Remember, he is just a young, you know, 20 years old or whatever he is. So still a young kid. He's got the weight of the Clemson world on his shoulders. Listen, this team has a target on its back this year. We're really adjusting to having, uh, this team is adjusting to the role of having a target on their back. You know, they had it at the end of last year, but they were still kind of the Cinderella and the darling. Even going into the national championship game, ranked number one, they still weren't the favorite in that game. And even for us fans and for the teams, you know, a loss last year would have been disappointing to us. Like, you know, if we lost the Florida State game, it would have been disappointing. But heading into the season, we didn't expect to win every game. This year, we do expect to win every game. So it's almost like instead of the loss being disappointing itself, it's almost like the team would be disappointing us. And I think that's pretty unfair. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm speaking not, you know, out against the fan base. I'm including myself in that. I think it's just something natural out of what we saw this team uh, accomplish last year, who we had coming back this year. We expect Deshaun Watson to be better than ever. We expect the offensive line to be better and the wide receivers and all of that. Um, so I think it is a bit unfair. And, you know, I want to change my mindset in thinking that I'm not going to be disappointed with the team if they lose. Of course, I'm going to be disappointed with a loss. But at the end of the day, these kids are putting their heart on the line. They're giving all the effort they can for Clemson University. And I think, you know, I'm proud of them for what they've done so far this year. And I really think they're going to keep improving and getting better. I'm not going to say turned around because they're 3-0. and And I'm really excited to see what the rest of the season has to offer. Yeah, I mean it's going to get better. Um, I think I think it's just the kind of the, the contrast between a team that's trying to get to the top, that's fighting to become elite, that's trying, that's going from a top fifteen program to a top ten, top five program, versus jockeying for position within the elite and staying there. I I don't know which is harder, but I think there's a different mentality, a different psychology that goes into it from a coaching standpoint. How do you get your guys motivated? How do you avoid complacency? How do you uh, kind of alleviate some of the, the the pressure of expectations. And Dabo, this is a new, yeah, a new. He, he, uh, he's he's never won a national championship as a head coach before. I mean, he's never had anything like that, like in terms of expectations coming in as a legit top two team. Uh, and by a, a lot by ESPN.com, the the title favorite. So different world. I think we've seen. I don't. I, I don't think his coaching's been. Uh, it's probably been like a C plus, if not maybe a little worse. But I mean, he'll get better. He, we've seen him improve. We've seen his development. Um, I think he threw, uh, he had a little, you know, uh, a sermon on Tuesday of last week, I think, to kind of just shield some of the, the team's woes. And whether or not you agree with that method or what he said uh, or what he didn't say, but it, it served the point of taking the, the distraction or the focus off of the team. Yeah, and uh, you hit the nail on the head there. You know, this is a learning process for Dabo, too. And he's shown in the past he may make mistakes being still a young coach and going through a lot of new things for the first time here but his ability to correct those things um the second time around and, and now being able to survive a lot of them because of the elite talent that, that this team has on the field you know obviously that's a huge help so 
yeah, let's get some of these things ironed out. We're 3-0, and three games into the season. You can't ask for anything more than that. we got Georgia Tech coming up on Thursday. Let's see the team put in a solid effort, turn around this Atlanta uh, uh, curse that we have, and then set our attention on Louisville in what's going to be a primetime game. And if both teams take care of business this weekend, is most likely going to be the game day destination for uh, ESPN. I think it's great that it's an 8 o'clock game. Um, I mean, that's it. It was bad for Louisville. They thought it, it was a 12 o'clock game with FSU, but it's something to be said. Uh, Lamar Jackson's going to be thinking all day. He's going to—he's never played in an environment like this. Uh, Get Death Valley roaring, folks. Something different for him. Um, question: Do you think Dabo's going to come out with his stance on like the upcoming election and who he intends to vote for in a press conference this week? Uh, I don't think there's anything to shield this week, so he might—he might keep that one. He's only got four uh, days, he, so he maybe might, he'll. Avoid. He might keep that one in the bank. So. We'll okay. see how that goes. <laughs> All right, so that's that's what we have for you guys today. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you know, follow us on iTunes. Leave a review if you have the time. Again, send us mailback questions. We'd love to get listeners involved and answer those. Check out TigerNet for their continued great coverage of all things Clemson athletics. Cody and I will be back with you after the the Georgia Tech game on Thursday. Uh, for all you going. Uh, be safe, cheer loud, and as always, go Tigers.